everybody, this is Chandradasa with the Buddha Centre online team and the Dharma Toolkit daily podcast for today, Monday. And I'm very, very happy to be here again, start of a new week of podcasts. And happy to be welcoming my friend and colleague, Sadai Sihi from Dublin, Ireland, who's going to be helping us out on today's conversation. How are you doing, Sadai Sihi? Uh, I'm good, thanks, Chandradasa. Good night from Dublin, should I say, because it's 9pm here at the moment. Yeah, and things are well. Well, since Friday, uh, Dublin has gone into a bit more, well, Ireland has gone into a bit more of a, a lockdown phase. So I'm sort of adjusting to that. We've been asked to restrict going out to maybe one walk a day and only going to the shops. So yeah, that's been further development since last week. The new reality of not going out too much is sort of facing me at the moment so yes it was interesting to you this morning about this new phase in dublin or in ireland here in the u.s i'm on the east coast portsmouth new hampshire at the united states it's a bit more like the wild west where all this is concerned state to state it's very different our state's behaving relatively well let's just leave it at that <laughs> but i've been hearing from friends around the East Coast, particularly in New York City, where things are quite difficult at the moment. Uh, we'll be hearing more of that later in the week in the podcast uh, with our friend Upayadi, who's going to be joining the team for the podcast going forward. But today, we're going much further afield, at least sort of much further afield, for our episode around the body. Today's theme, really picking up from last week's conversations about well-being and how to make sure that we're looking after ourselves in all senses. We thought we'd convene a little conversation about what it's like to be an embodied being in isolation, how to look after ourselves physically as a kind of integrated aspect of looking after ourselves mentally. And we have two fabo guests, one of whom I know and one of whom I have never met before. Although I'm just realizing that I've seen your picture on the internet quite often in various different places. So I'll welcome our Brothers Flung guest, Subarna D from New Zealand. Hi, Subarna D, how are you? Hi, Chandradasa. I'm pretty well, actually. Yeah, Auckland, New Zealand is where I'm sitting at the moment, and it's just after nine in the morning on a very beautiful day. And we've been in lockdown. This is our sixth day of lockdown as a country now, which is quite odd. It's very, very quiet everywhere. <laughs> We're not really supposed to leave our homes except to go for a walk in our neighbourhood or to the supermarket. And technically it's one nominated person per household, which sadly is not usually me. We have a designated shopper in our community. So it kind of hit me a few days ago that these four walls are kind of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little unsettling. And of course, I just realised that I said this was Monday's podcast, which it is where I am, but we're also podcasting into the future because it's Tuesday morning in Auckland. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear. I did see the little video on Twitter of Jacinda Arden on her couch telling people about the lockdown in New Zealand, which from a US politics point of view, almost unbelievable to watch <laughs> in terms of the, the level of grown-upness and good humour and kindness. We're very lucky here in that it's actually like the official line is that we must be patient and kind. Literally every official giving a briefing about anything as part of their list is. So it's important to wash your hands, be patient, be kind. It's quite extraordinary. Which reminds me of uh, Stacey, he was reporting in this morning in our team meeting about the Irish broadcaster 
announcing the increased state of lockdown and finishing the newscast with a poem read live on air, which seemed fairly extraordinary. So maybe she'll read that for us to round off today's podcast. Well, it's always possible. And welcome to, to our other guest. You might hear a similar accent from this guest. She's actually in England, but she also hails from down under from our perspective in the Northern Hemisphere. This is my old friend and great supporter of online Dharma and a great pioneer in her own field around the body and mindfulness and how to work particularly in the area of chronic pain, Vidya Mala. Hi, Chandra Dasa and Sadai Sihi and everybody in Subhana D. It's really fantastic to be here with you at uh, nine o'clock in England and to have this conversation on such an important topic. We're now a week into lockdown. So I started last Monday. I lead a Zoom literature study group and this message came through that Boris Johnson was going to address the nation kind of thing at, I think over the half past eight, which was in the middle of our study group. And I said, okay, so should we keep going with study or shall we listen to our great leader? And they all said, oh, let's keep going with study. So that was good. <laughs> and then, you know, we got out of study and that was it, the lockdown. Today, I have actually been in bed this afternoon and i called off my study group tonight because I've got a cough and I don't feel very well. So, you know, who knows if I've got the dreaded coronavirus. I think it probably isn't. But nonetheless, it's just interesting. You know, that's one thing I've noticed is how kind of the sort of anxiety around the virus probably affects the way I interpret my bodily input, my bodily sensations. So normally I'd have a cough like this and I'd just ignore it. And I'd be feeling a bit off and I'd just ignore it. But now, of course, it's like, oh, well, it might be coronavirus. So maybe I need to take it seriously, you know, in the sense of, well, I don't want to get really sick. So trying to look after myself a bit. So that's quite interesting coming to this podcast. I thought about cancelling this as well. And then I thought, well, it's only half an hour with my friends. So it should be fine. But yeah, that's that's an interesting thing I'm noticing as almost a kind of paranoia around a cough or feeling a bit clammy or but achy and the uncertainty of that and of course you know none of us anytime knows what the future holds but perhaps this has just highlighted that but I'm really happy to be here having this conversation and hanging out with you guys. Yeah I was uh, delighted to see you'd signed up on the sheets and thanks very much for coming when you're not feeling very well I can understand why you might have wanted to cancel. Actually one thing I wanted to start with Vidimala was you were quite enthusiastic obviously about this particular episode and you were also enthusiastic about signing up Savarna D to be in the conversation with you. And I thought it might be nice for people to hear just a sense of your friendship together and your connection and how that relates to the idea of the body as something we're holding in awareness. Yeah, well, Savannah D and I go back, I don't know, maybe six, eight years or something. So Sona and I go to Australia and New Zealand every year and we do breathworks events, teacher training, and Savannah D came along when she was Marie. And there was just a natural liking. And then we've been working together most years so annually we'd be involved in retreats because Sivana did quite quickly join the team on the breathworks retreats and then I was going to be Sivana private preceptor she got ordained last year but then Sivana also got a chronic pain condition so she felt she couldn't go to Akashavana and I felt I couldn't go to Golden Bay in New Zealand which is where the retreat ended up being so Marlene very magnificently ordained Sivana D. She's her public and private preceptor. But nonetheless, I feel like I have that kind of, we have that kind of relationship. 
And uh, more recently, we've just been in New Zealand, Sonia and I, doing. we, were, we did some breathwork things in Australia, then went to New Zealand, and we ha- actually went on a holiday with Sivana D and Chris Waite, who's a Mitra who lives in Adelaide, who's also a breathworks on the breathworks team. And we had the most fantastic holiday at the Bay of Islands that involved swimming, eating ice cream, playing the ukulele, and lots of rummy cup, those kind of things. And also on a more serious note, working with Sivana D, she's an excellent teacher. And she's works for the Auckland Buddhist Centre and she's just got a lot of good things to say. So I thought that would be an interesting, would be an interesting combination. I want to know what rummy cup is. Yes, so for those of you who don't know, rummy cup is because I had no idea what it was. Vidya Mala seemed mind-bogglingly enthusiastic to play this game. And should we buy one on the way to Opito Bay, which if you know Northland, New Zealand, the odds of finding that sort of thing seem slim. But there was in fact one at the beach house where we were staying. And uh, yeah, how to describe it? It's not really a board game. It's like you have all these tiles with numbers on and you you can't actually start as a player until you have numbers that you know, like they have to be configured in a certain way, like the same number but different colours and it has to add up to 30 or more and total and all this kind of stuff. And Vidya Mala, well, let's just say she's uh, a competitive player of Ramika. <laughs> and we played it every night. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, very good fun. And and frankly, so much better than watching Netflix. I think that's something we all realised at the end of the holidays. We hadn't watched a single thing and we all seemed to be, frankly, much better off for it. And there's something just fun about all sitting around the table and playing games. It's like so old school, but so delightful. And you discover all these things about your friends you never knew. <laughs> <laughs> like their strategies and <laughs> yeah yes competitive streaks their dark sides yeah so um we led to breathworks retreats in a beautiful part of australia it was in the sort of alpine region in victoria in what is called the wombat state forest uh we didn't see any wombats lots of wombat holes and lots of kangaroos but it's always a really lovely thing to do because Breathworks, I mean, Bitty Mala started it with Sona and Ratnaguna many years ago now, but it's an organisation that teaches mindfulness for people with chronic pain and illness principally. So it's sort of beautiful to see how people who come on these retreats just unfold over the days, actually, like how much mindfulness and self-compassion practices just really help them. I mean, it's been transformative in my life as well, but it's just delightful work, really, if we can even call it that. Yeah, it's been an amazing um, addition to our particular Buddhist community, just having this you know, really deep awareness of those particular issues and the application of mindfulness in them. I think actually every so often something comes along in communities and really does make a, a huge contribution, and Breathworks has clearly been one of those things. It's very interesting being in lockdown and how do we maintain our mental and physical well-being. I think that's a really big issue for lots of people because it's it's an unusual way to live, if you put it that way. Even though I've sort of joked to a few people who say, oh, how are you finding it? Non-Buddhists, you say, how are you finding it? And I say, well, as a Buddhist, I pay good money for this kind of thing. (laughs) You know, to shut myself in a house. Life as a solitary retreat for DMLA. Yeah, so that's the kind of joke. For many of us, it's probably not as shocking as it is for other people but nonetheless what I noticed personally was very interesting because I 
Sona and I got back from Australia two weeks ago and we decided to self-isolate, even though that was not the official guidance from the UK government at that point. But we left New Zealand where it was and we just felt a moral duty to stay at home and not spread this virus if we'd picked it up. But what I found really interesting is that was kind of voluntary. And then when the lockdown was announced, nothing had changed for me. I was staying at home anyway. But suddenly I felt this more sort of existential taking away of my freedom and my autonomy. I found that very interesting. You know, it's quite subtle. I like being at home. And apart from traveling to teach and so on, when I'm at home, I don't really go out very much anyway. So my lifestyle in a way hasn't changed very much from the way it normally is. But there was definitely this, this something that was imposed from a sort of external authority. I felt a little bit of panic. It was quite interesting. How have you found that, Suvana D? It's interesting. I've kind of found that it just hasn't phased me at all. And I'm really curious about that because I don't know whether on some level I'm just kind of blocking it out. It's like I can't think about that. And I'm aware that I work for the Auckland Buddhist Centre and we've kind of been very busy since the lockdown was announced or last Monday, uh, sort of moving everything online and running these sessions ourselves and completely winging it. It's just like having to learn everything and teach each other things on the fly. So it's it's almost like it's turned into a project or something, which perhaps takes away from that sense of having to confront the fact that here I am in, in the house. And I think it wasn't, as I said a while ago, it wasn't probably until Friday night last week that We'd sort of like made our way through. We did a um, a puja live from our community shrine room on Zoom. And I was quite anxious about how that was going to work. And when that kind of came to an end, I sat and went, oh, hang on. Just these four walls for like four weeks minimum. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I also like spending time at home and I'm fortunate enough to live at the foot of one of many volcanic cones dotted around Auckland City. So my local neighbourhood walk I'm allowed to take involves walking up a mountain with the lovely view of sea and mountains and sky. So that is hugely helpful in terms of that perspective. And I'm very conscious that if I was living in one of the rare things in Auckland called a flat suburb, I would probably be struggling because that sense of sort of like sea and mountains and sky gives me a sense of spaciousness and yeah, just something bigger that makes it more manageable somehow. Things that which I've noticed in terms of the sort of mental and physical well-being is actually I'm I'm a bit more focused and disciplined than normal. I find that very interesting. So it's a bit like there's an imperative. There's no escape. You know, I can't get in my car and just go off somewhere. I live with Sona. And so we've got a routine. I think routine is really important. And all the kind of government advice is about establishing a routine for your mental well-being. And actually, we're following the same routine as Adistana in the morning. We live fairly near Adistana, but we can't go there, of course. So we decided to you know, get up at half past six practice from seven to half past eight or we've added in half an hour of body work so seven to seven thirty we're doing either some yoga or some qigong sit for an hour breakfast quarter to nine and it's nice actually feeling that we're following the same schedule as our friends down the road and then with my own body I need to really look after my body and part of looking after it is staying fit and normally I go swimming or I go to the gym and I do hand cycling 
So I can't do either of those things. So Sona very kindly last weekend, first weekend of lockdown, he made me a hand cycle out of an old bike because he likes making things. So we've now got this upside down bike with the front wheel missing hung up in the backyard where I can do hand cycling to get some cardiovascular exercise. And I think that's really important for everybody within your own situation. We, we need to be getting cardiovascular exercise. We need to be stretching and we need to be doing some weights or resistance training of some sort. Those are the three sorts of exercise that bodies need and we can adapt. So if you haven't got any weights, you can use some tins of baked beans. There's lots of videos online now of people doing sort of living room exercise workouts. And I think these things are really important, but I found it quite interesting that I'm more focused, more disciplined, more structured than I usually am. I'm really benefiting from that mentally and physically. Can I ask a question, Vidimala? I'm just aware that sometimes you use a wheelchair. Is there specific government advice yet coming out in the UK for wheelchair users? Or is most of the advice assuming able-bodiedness? Well, I think it's just kind of generic. Like if you're a wheelchair user, you can still do things that raise your heartbeat. You know, you can sort of get your arms up and down. Well, like I'm doing my hand cycling, you know, you can do a lot of yoga and things sitting down. You can adapt. So the whole thing is to adapt. So I think maybe the point I'm making is there's a principle and the principle is do something every day that gets your heart rate raised because that's going to be good for your physical and your mental health. Because if we get a bit more active, often it lifts our mood. Do something that stretches the body a bit and do something that strengthens the body a bit. Those are the three principles. And how you do that is you can follow a video, you can lift some baked bean, put some baked bean tins up in the air to strengthen your arms. Wheelchair users can follow those same principles, or people who've got chronic health conditions can follow those same principles of cardio resistance and flexibility. What are you doing, Sivana D, to stay fit and strong? I'm walking up that mountain. <laughs> We call it a mountain, really, it's a hill, but man, it's a steep hill. <laughs> so that's my principal thing, and much the same as you, actually, in the sense that, I mean, it's a routine we kind of established uh, in Australia about a month ago now, I guess, but uh, starting the day with some, I guess we could call it qigong, and then before I meditate, so it's just movement is the first thing I do every day, and it makes such a big difference, actually, because I tend to wake up. I guess like many people, feeling rather stiff and sore. And if I just try to crack on with the day, that just increases, really. So even starting with 15 minutes of light movement makes a huge difference. I have also been really conscious of the need for routine around that. I mean, I try to do that and wake up at the same time every day because it makes a huge difference to my mood as well. That's been a kind of hard learning for me over the years, actually, is that my impulse to stay up late at night and to sleep in and to loll around in bed. I did once read uh, an hilarious description of sleep habits of people according to their star signs, and I'm a Capricorn, and for me it was something like five hours of sleep and two hours lying around in the morning doing nothing in bed, and I was like, yeah, that does sound like me, but it's so unhelpful, and actually when I do it, I notice that my mood really, really drops, and I'm conscious right now that, oh, you know, I live in a community, so I'm living with it's just two other people at the moment, but it's no fun for them, especially when I can't leave the house. It's no fun for them to have me sort of stomping around the house in half or in a bit of a dark mood. And frankly, it's no fun for me either. So that sense of routine, movement, and just getting up and greeting the day actually 
when we're on retreat, we do this particular set of movements on um, some breathworks retreats that Sona leads. And he always encourages everyone. It's a sort of movement where you, your instinct is to close your eyes and sort of go quite internal and do it. And he says, keep your eyes open, look around you, smile, notice that there are other people around you. And I actually do that imaginatively in the mornings because, you know, I get up, I'm not in the world's best mood. I'll be honest. And I kind of look up at the sky, smile, and I just kind of imagine my friends around me doing these movements with me. And there's a sort of instant lift, actually, that happens around that. It's like that's how I start my day and it kind of carries through into the day. And it might sound a bit silly, but, you know, it works. So I roll with it. Maybe I can just drop something in here that people might find interesting around some of the science of imaginative connection, because that's what many of us are going to be needing to engage with even more than usual. Obviously, if you live with other people and you've got people around you, but some people will be on their own in their houses in lockdown. Or, you know, if you go for your daily exercise, you might not see many people. And loneliness, this is really quite interesting. Loneliness is more damaging to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We're social animals and we're designed to be connected. But even more interestingly, that feeling isolated is more damaging to your health than actual isolation. So you can be in a crowd of people and feel isolated. That's going to be worse for you than being on your own and feeling connected. So QED, the metabhavana or imaginative connection, it's actually good for your health. It's not just good for your mind. It's clearly good for your mind. And we do it as Buddhists, but it's good for your health. So now is the time when we're in this lockdown where we can really call on that as part of not only our spiritual practice, but also our well-being practice, is to engage in imaginative connection. And what you just said, Sivana Dee, that just imagining your friends around you as you're doing the movement, that lifts your mood. That's very interesting, isn't it? We can do a lot with our minds. So that's what the Buddha said, isn't it? Of course, that our experience is led by mind. I think in these times, we can really use metta and use connection to help us deal with the situation that we're all in. And the other thing that's interesting about the situation we're all in is globally, we're all in the same boat pretty much. So it's a tremendous leveler. <laughs> like 25% of the world's population is under some kind of lockdown as we speak. That's amazing. That's rich people and poor people and fit people and people who are ill. And we're all dealing with the same basic situation. And so as we're doing our movements, as Sivanad is saying, just to think of all these other billions of people in the same situation that can be part of our well-being regime as well as part of our insight regime as it were. I find that really helpful actually Vidimala because I'm at the moment I am actually in isolation on my own so it's good to be reminded of that importance of imaginative connection. Just well, there was one point actually I, I just was interested in following up with you about or well both of you something you said when you were introducing yourself at the beginning and particularly in this context of talking about well-being and looking after ourselves and I know certainly for myself I've, I've definitely been trying to be more conscious of my body trying to do yoga making sure I get up go for walks all those kind of things. But I've also talked to a few people who, well, it seems like quite a lot of people I've talked to have phantom symptoms. Um, and I know you mentioned that at the beginning, this sort of feeling of a sore throat and then thinking, oh my God, am I developing something? I was talking to a friend today who's in isolation with his family, uh, his four kids and his wife, and they came down with something. They don't know what it is. They're, they're waiting for tests to see if they if they got it but they had something similar to that and I don't know there's just something about how do we manage between looking after ourselves without tipping into sort of hypochondria 
or as you were saying, paranoia about our health. It's kind of a fine line, isn't it? Because we do want to be well. Well, I've also was reading somewhere that, you know, you have to be careful because some of the symptoms of anxiety become quite close to some of the symptoms, tightness in the chest and all that kind of thing. So if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. As always with these things, the main thing is not to judge ourselves, you know, because we're all in a situation where there is going to be a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And if you then start thinking, oh, I'm just a hypochondriac or I'm just anxious or I shouldn't be having these feelings that's not going to work because guess what? You are having these feelings. So to bring kindness to that, you know, in a way it would be quite strange not to be a little bit hypervigilant around physical symptoms because we know there's this invisible silent thing that's enjoying our species at the moment. It's very fascinating, the whole thing. Anyway, that's another topic. So it's really normal. It's really, really normal to be anxious about symptoms. And, you know, it's been interesting with myself because I've, I've had this kind of slight cough on and off pretty much since I got back. So it can't be coronavirus because that's two weeks. And I don't think you have some sort of mild symptoms for two weeks. What I'm noticing myself is I'm, I'm vacillating between dismissing it and thinking, oh, for goodness sake, it's nothing. And then today thinking, actually, I do feel quite rough. Maybe I'll just go to bed for the afternoon. And so how have I been working with that? Well, I keep reminding myself that 80% of people, it's a mild illness. That's helpful. You know, it's only a very small proportion that actually get really seriously ill. I've also noticed not so much, not so much today when I actually have responded to it differently, but I've also had this absolute certainty that I was not going to get it, like denial. That's also very interesting. And I'm talking to other people, they've had that. It's like, there's this thing out there, but I'm not going to get it. And that's really ignorant because in a way, why would I not get it? Why would someone else get it and not me? Or why would I get it and not them? We just don't know. Nobody knows, but I could get it. So today felt kind of progress in a funny kind of way because I wasn't in this kind of complete denial anymore. But I think it's probably just really normal to go in and out of, oh my God, I've got it. Of course you haven't. I was talking to someone about this today and something I've tried to learn to do with my own body over the years is just to really stay with the actual experience, to be ruthlessly objective. And all I know today is that I've got a bit of a tickly throat, a tickle in my chest and a bit sweaty. That's it. That's all I know. That's the facts. And everything else is speculation. You know, is it, isn't it? How bad is it? Will it get worse? That's just my mind proliferating. So I think it can be very helpful just to really try to stay with the kind of objective data that one's getting from one's body and then to take appropriate steps on the basis of that. So today I thought, well, actually, I really have got this cough. I'm not making it up. So probably I should actually just rest a bit more today. But full stop, you know, and just and just to really try to not allow the mind, well, the mind will do what it's doing, but to call the mind back to, well, what's the actual facts here? And I find that very helpful in my own, you know, working with chronic pain and the people I teach is to really just try to stay with the basic experience and to keep coming back to that. And it's just a whole load of not knowing, you know, and what will be will be. And if I've got coronavirus, it will become apparent. And if I haven't got coronavirus, it will become apparent. But today, all I know is that I've got a tickly cough. And what would be the kind way to respond to that today? I think that's interesting in staying with just the data of the experience, because again, I'm just thinking of the friend I was speaking to today. He was saying that regardless of what it was, they had a cold and it was, you know, not 
not an awful cold, but a bad cold. And just the difference that that label meant the whole experience somehow, just having that on that cold, bad cold experience would make it so much worse. Maybe it's to do with how it's all been talked about. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Just, and as you say, coming back to the, just the, the sheer experience of it rather than, rather than the label. And what we've noticed with people who teach at Breathworks, and I think it's, it's the same with coronavirus, is we tend to swing between denial and overwhelm as human beings. So, no, no, it's nothing. I'm not going to get it. And then, oh, my God, I might get it and I might die. And you can do that within a nanosecond. And then don't be so stupid. You know, you're not going to get it. It's not very conscious usually, but we're swinging between these two poles of denial and overwhelm. And how do we become aware of that and then keep on sort of backing off to the middle way, which is the basic data. Yeah, I think that's how I would explain it. Can I bring in you, Severity, here? Just I was wondering if there's anything particular from your, your training over the years with Breathworks you experienced that's been sort of foremost on your mind as you've been going through this, just hearing you, Vadimala, talking about this basic thing of coming back to what's actually happening rather than getting too caught up in proliferation around it or speculation. Is there anything sort of equivalent for you, Severity? Have you been aware of any particular skills from that training that are useful in a time like this? Sure. I mean, definitely this idea that we we start off with some kind of physical sensation because before the sort of fear around coronavirus started in New Zealand, we'd already started the rounds of various bugs going around. Uh, and so actually everyone in the community, we've all had some sort of viral thing, but we don't quite know what it is. So we've been doing the same sorts of things. Is this oh, could it be coronavirus? And it's just really mild and we just don't know. And we've been out in the world passing it on. And in reality, I'm feeling a bit tired and I've got a little bit of sinus congestion. So like that's a sort of bare sensation. And what goes on top of that is, oh, what if it is coronavirus? Oh my God, all these people I've been seeing, what have I done? You know, And the fact that we have someone in the community who's over 70 and considered quite vulnerable to these things, the sort of fear around that. And it is just that always realizing that we're just constantly layering one kind of suffering on top of another. And if we can just come back, as Vidyamala said so beautifully, just to the bare sensation, it's like, that's what we can trust in. And we're going to keep doing it every now and then. Oh, but what if? Or, oh, maybe it's this. Or, oh, surely it's not. Couldn't happen to me. That's where we just get so tight and anxious and caught up. Uh, and if we can just come back to the bare sensation, we'll be so much better off. So it's just been a practice of that, actually, of like, well, what happens pretty much every, every year at the end of February and March? I get a bit of sinus congestion and I feel a bit tired, <laughs> you know. And the other thing that's really struck me, it's the first thing that sprang to mind, actually, when I guess we started to get our first cases of coronavirus in New Zealand. And like the anxiety around was just palpable. It was hard not to get affected by it because I didn't feel particularly anxious about it myself. You know, I'm one of those people who lives in denial that this just won't happen to me. But I noticed how anxious other people were. And I just thought, gosh, what we need to do is have a daily body scan practice online. It's just so important because anxiety is mostly in our heads. It's proliferating thoughts. It's noticing that oh, I've been at 
really interested to see certainly where people with particularly families go with this in their minds it's like it's off to the fear of their children losing their jobs and then what will happen to the grandchildren or what about the elderly parents and it's just all the stuff that's a possible or a maybe and if we can just come back to the body really deeply actually experiencing the breath really fully you know the number of us who just sort of like breathe in the chest actually without even really realizing it just becoming aware that the breath moves almost in the whole of the body but certainly like right through the back of the body the sides of the body with the ribs the whole front of the body that is one incredibly soothing because if you're aware of the breath in the back of the body, it kind of stimulates that part of your nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, that is like your calming and soothing impulse. Uh, so it helps really just scale everything back, helps us calm down, helps us get to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, I just was really aware of the importance of that actually just being deeply in the body and doing it as a routine every single day. So we have that 5.30 every night online in New Zealand. <laughs> I've just wondered about something to do with bodies in relationship. Obviously, we're talking about our personal experience of how we can relate to our own bodies, how we can manage anxiety, physical well-being, strength, the stuff you were talking about. But I'm also sort of aware of that it's this weirdness of we see each other on Zoom. Like, people aren't visually lonely. <laughs> There's loads of bodies in their line of sight all the time. Right? But there's something around relationality. Well, I suppose it is this idea that everything is a kind of projection of the mind anyway. So this whole idea that we are separate, isolated beings is part of our inaccurate perception of things. It's a kind of wrong view. And one of the things which I really love doing, Sivani just talked about the whole body breathing there. And something I really love doing is dropping really, really deep in my body and feeling the flow of breathing that it's continually flowing and moving. And then I realize that my body is continually flowing and moving. So it's not the static lump that we normally perceive it to be. It's a whole flow of breathing and sensations and our thoughts are flowing and our emotions are flowing. And then when you start to go really deeply inside that, well, where do I end and where do you begin starts to open out. So this idea that we're separate and isolated is actually just an idea. You know, we're deeply part of the kind of flow of life. And, you know, my neighbours in their little house next door, I am actually connected to them in ways, mysterious ways that might not be kind of rationally obvious. We're all the time affecting each other. Life is flowing. Maybe that's the way I should express it, that life is flowing. And it's an idea that one is separate and isolated. We're never separate and isolated ever because we're all part of this flow of life banter put it really beautifully and know your mind i can't remember the quote but it's that we're temporary condensations within the stream of life and i always find that very helpful if one's feeling very kind of separate and stark and isolated if you go right inside the body and right inside the breath and everything starts to kind of soften and open and soften and open and then, well, where do I end and where does the world begin? Oh, it's much more porous than I usually realise. And that can be very connecting. And then to bring in the imagination as well, like the more sort of meta aspect. I'm this flowing body, you're flowing bodies, we're all in this together. But I think the doorway for me is definitely through the body. It's like you go so far inside that the blue sky lives at the heart of the body in some kind of way. You go right inside the cells and then you discover its space. And there's everybody else there as well. 
I think that's something, that's what I would say, yeah. I've been truly reflecting on this in the last few days while realising how exhausting being on Zoom and Skype calls is all of a sudden, and I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, everyone seems to be overwhelmed by this sudden bombardment of visual connection on a computer screen and that I need to really take time quite consciously away from that and that the actual connection I feel is also somehow rooted in the breath like I've had a practice of trying to keep a soft breath through the day and gosh it's hard to do you know every time I go to wash the dishes for some reason I need to inhibit my breath I don't know why Um, but if I try and soften into that there's this kind of visceral sense of being connected to like the pulse of life on the planet. You know, the birds outside, there's this sort of interdependence and conditionality, like these are the conditions in which life as we know it thrives. And I'm kind of participating in that. And it's a sense of being a, an embodied being that is part of the earth. And somehow the breath is the doorway into that actually it's allowing yourself to dwell in the body to feel the breath breathing to feel the softness of the breath and there's a sense of connection with the whole world it is being part of the natural world instead of seeing ourselves as somehow separate you know we often talk about oh nature I've even heard I think COVID-19 is nature's way of getting getting us back or something and I'm like that's crazy. It's just, it's conditionality. You know, we're all participating in the conditions in which we find ourselves. We are nature. Sorry, I may have gotten a little poetic there. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been kind of conscious, you know, being in physical isolation, the different ways that we can communicate with each other. Obviously, as you were both saying there, you know, a lot of us have been on Zoom and Skype a lot more than, than is normal. But one thing I found really beautiful, really moving from Friday was communicating through poetry. In Ireland, RTE is our national broadcaster. And Friday, the announcement that was made about us going into further lockdown, if you like, and obviously the news was covering this and there was a lot of information about that. But they chose to end the broadcast with a poem by an Irish poet called Derek Mahan. And I just think it's such a just a wonderful way of just bringing in something a bit different, a different way of sort of reaching out, you know, or maybe it's coming back to that imaginative connection that we were talking about earlier. I can read out the poem. In fact, you can actually listen to Derek Mahan reading out his own poem, which is far nicer. <laughs> but anyway, at the moment, you've got me. <laughs> anyway, as I said, it just it's a very fitting note of hope that the news ended on. So here it is. The poem is, everything is going to be all right. How should I not be glad to contemplate the clouds clearing beyond the dormer window and a high tide reflected on the ceiling? There will be dying, there will be dying, but there is no need to go into that. The poems flow from the hand unbidden and the hidden source is the watchful heart. The sun rises in spite of everything, and far cities are beautiful and bright. I lie here in a riot of sunlight, watching the day break and the clouds flying. 
everything is going to be all right. Thanks for sharing that. Lovely way to bring a conversation to an end or to a close, temporary close in some senses, moving from the body into the imagination, that sense of connection, which is after all what this podcast is about, trying to keep a community connected every day in whatever ways we can imaginatively. All these people around the world bearing each other in mind. It's kind of beautiful. It's a bit of a shame that sometimes it takes things like this to make us as aware of it, but there we are. At least we have the gift of the awareness. So that's uh, all for today. We'll be back each weekday with another set of voices, more stories, people's imaginative adventures in the face of this great uncertainty that we're all living with. In the meantime, you can meditate with us every day. We have two meditations online every day. You can find the details at thebuddhistcentre.com slash toolkit. It's kind of fantastic. 150 people just show up, smile at each other, and then close their eyes and sit quietly for 40 minutes. Totally delightful. Uh, you can also sign up for our newsletter there. We'll keep you posted on the best of what's available from the community internationally, particularly since many of you will be super busy with work and kids and won't really have time to pay that much attention to blogs. Well, we'll do it for you and we'll send you updates once a week. And you can also join the community toolkit space and just share what keeps you going, what keeps you afloat. If you're inspired by things you've heard in this conversation and it sparks off something magic, send out into the cosmos. You never know what good it will do. So I'd like to thank our guests. Well, actually, first I'll thank Stasihi, my esteemed co-host and uh, wonderful reader of poetry. Thanks, Chandra Dasa. Always happy to read poetry. <laughs> it's going to become a feature if you're not careful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I'd like to thank Savarna D for talking to us early on a Tuesday morning in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, you're most welcome. It's been a pleasure and fantastic to connect with everyone as well. Yeah. And Vidya Mala, I hope you get well from whatever it is, from whatever the bear symptoms are. Just <laughs> 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 share your, I was going to say expertise actually, but what I really mean is love. So there you go. That's the difference. Mm, been really delightful to be here with you and talk about such, such sort of heart things. Yeah. Talk about heart things. That's, that's a precious thing, isn't it? So thank you very much. And thank you to everyone for showing up and listening and being part of a community. You should know that we're all bearing you in mind. And actually loads of people are bearing you in mind. It's really important just to know that you're connected to others. And we'll see you all again soon in some way online and in our hearts. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.